0: The Time Space Compassion podcast includes a range of different perspectives which may not always represent the views of Suicide Prevention Scotland or the organisations that work with us. These podcasts provide what we believe is an engaging way to support dialogue and help promote positive change in preventing suicide. Hello and welcome to Time Space Compassion, the podcast brought to you by Suicide Prevention Scotland, the community of people and organisations working together to deliver the Scottish Government and COSLA's new suicide prevention strategy. I'm Lawrence Brodie, and over this limited edition series we're going to explore time, space, compassion, three simple words that are a key part of the Creating Hope Together strategy. I'll be joined by academics, professionals from a range of settings and those with lived and living experience. time-space Compassion is an approach. It encourages people and organisations to embed these principles in how they support others at a time of crisis. You can learn more on the Scottish Government website. In this first episode, we're going to explore the issue of trauma and I'm joined by Shumela Ahmed from Resilience Learning Partnership, Suicide Prevention Scotland's National Delivery Lead, Hala Smith, and Consultant Clinical Psychologist Adam Burley from NHS Lothian and the City of Edinburgh Council. From our discussion we opened up some interesting themes ranging from the differences between the approaches to treating mental and physical trauma to issues around trust and attention. Now before we start, today's episode will understandably cover themes that some of you may find distressing. You'll find a range of useful links in the show notes, And at the end of the episode, I'll give you some key telephone numbers that may be helpful if you are struggling or know someone else who is struggling with their mental health. We started our roundtable chat by asking everyone to give us their thoughts on trauma and, in particular, the impact it can have on an individual and the long lasting effects of it. Often, this is framed around attention seeking. But should it not be more about attention needing? We kicked off with shumela
1: You know, when you learn about trauma, when you learn about what trauma does to people, then actually you realize and it's it's brilliant and i try to help professionals realize and understand all the time that some of the most difficult behaviors and communication styles that we might see particularly in young people i'm a care experience person and so i do a lot of work around care experience and i was at a conference last week on secure care and it's it's come it's it's come into the the 21st century i'm really glad to see and it's very different to when I was in residential school, but what we see amongst young people and, and, and other uh, demographics is an absolutely natural and normal reaction to what they have experienced and previous, uh, you know, their previous experiences throughout their lives. And when people start to learn that that it's a really normal response to, you know, whatever way you respond to the trauma. Um, a real shift starts to take place and how we view people and again as i said before how you view yourself i really think that we need to talk about well-being and self-care and our mental health from birth from the minute we bring life into the world and make it really normal to talk about how we feel to give people the language because it still surprises me that that's one of the biggest things actually that happens at rlp is that you know, when people have been around us for a couple of years, they've really learned the language to see what's happened to them, how they feel, and then they've learned new language, discovered new language um, to to express themselves and, and to make their way in the world. And that's a really beautiful thing to watch. And it comes from normalising, talking about our wellbeing, um, how we take care of ourselves, how we deserve to be taken care of, and things like the, the impact of trauma. Um, I think it's really, really important.
0: With Adam's experience, one thing I wanted to understand better was how you go about designing services to support people who have experienced trauma.
2: The key bit is something about how, you know, think about trauma-informed, or how organisations and structures such as education are set up and established because they're typically designed by relatively healthy people and they designed them in their own image which was well i you know with an idea that we all have equal relational access to the community which we don't because i think as james dockett describes this better than me but you know that trauma is about disconnection it disconnects you from the world it disconnects you from yourself it disconnects you from experience and most of our institutions and organizations and just community resources require you to be able to do relationships relatively well and do not understand or make provision for people who are so relationally injured that even if they knew where the gym was there's no way they would go there because there's other people there and and how isolating and disconnecting that is and how you know, education is fundamentally relational between a group of people called teachers and a group of people called pupils. If you don't trust the teacher, you can be as bright as get out, but you're not going to get much from it. And it's how do we structure things and put proper provision and accommodation in place, such that people can even access things, and that there's those relational bridges that allow them to do it. But often what we're asking people to do is the equivalent of putting a wheelchair clinic at the top of three flights of stairs and then asking people to get there and more than that blaming them for when they don't get there rather than actually the way we structured this building completely excludes you from ever accessing it and it's so obvious with wheelchairs it's so visible whereas relational access and relational injury are so invisible they're so easy to ignore and just and just sort of forget about really and then people with huge amounts of adversity in their background become excluded both in terms of just making social connection, but also being able to access leisure, pursuits, hobbies, clubs, college, healthcare, you know, all of these things that we relationally take for granted and assume that we have equal relational access to, but we don't. I think so that's
3: really cool. interesting, Adam. My previous role was sort of managing strategy, commissioning and some services and across communities in, in my local area. And I think, that you know how we set that the system up you know we i don't think we don't necessarily set our system up or our buildings up or to enable that time space compassion system and and i know i used to manage a a service called local area coordination and and they you know the staff in the service would go and and work one-to-one with somebody to build up enough of that trusting relationship to enable them to engage in the gym or to engage in, in other things in their community and they'd go along with them and they'd work, you know, take their hand and if they could only get to the front step the first week, the next week, you know, they'd get up the step and just build it up a wee bit at a time. There was no time frame set for how long they could work with the person and they were never discharged unless they wanted to be discharged. So they would remain on, on the books, so to speak, forever if they so wished and then there was when we were setting that up there was a real concern that you know people would flood the gate you know flood, come flooding through the doors we wouldn't be able to manage the demand and we'd have people forever and what really ended up happening was people felt safe knowing that that service was always there if they need it they never very very rarely would come back once they felt com- you know they built enough confidence themselves to go and you know attend those activities that they were interested in to build those peer relationships you know they they, they didn't they do not want to be part of a service if they don't have to be one who does do you know so so i think it was it, you know we create these systems and then we blame the individual
0: Now, you can follow the work of Suicide Prevention Scotland on social media. We're on Twitter, and we have a blog on Medium. Follow us at SuicidePrevScot and SuicidePreventionScotland.medium.com.
2: You know, it's not that we don't have good evidence and theory around this, that we've known for a long, long time that, you know, most people are able to leave home because it's secure why they leave because they know it's there it's like i mean there's also other reasons why people end up leaving home but when things are going well usually the child at some point will want to say i'm out of here because they're dependent because they foster dependency because they have an internal security that has come through years of being dependent i'm incredibly proud of my dependency i'm utterly dependent on a whole range of things it's the thing that holds my mind together and I'm lucky enough to be able to do it but I guess one of the things that trauma really does is impact upon a human's capacity to form dependent relationships with other human beings with the world with with all sorts of things
3: how do we shift that then because you know I was really struck when we had the the sort of event to launch the guidance that there were you know lots and lots of people in that room who as individuals were you know were speaking about what they wanted and what they saw and and how it felt for them and what difference they wanted to make and and I'm always you know I've said over the years I've been to lots of conferences lots of events lots of webinars where it, you know it, it, it puts that bit of fire in my belly and then I go back to the system that's created in a, in a totally different way and the ability to Influence and change, you know, it's almost it's almost pulled out, you know, that rug pulled out from underneath your feet. And and you know, I I facilitated a discussion at that event where I was, you know, said at the end, what is what are you going to do to go back and into your system, into your organisations, to to make a difference? But I wonder if we went back now, you know, a couple of months on, how many people had been able to make that that change because it's so difficult to really affect that
0: change. Can I ask, why is it so diff- difficult? Because I, I, I was going to say, can we turn this towards something that's um, almost more practical and thinks about, well, yeah, well, what are you going to do exactly? What you're the, the point that you're talking to here? So rather than what are people going to do, why is it actually so hard?
2: In terms of why, one, comparing physical trauma. To psychological trauma typically physical trauma you can see like you can see the pictures of the road traffic accident or the person falling off a ladder or whatever typically with psychological trauma it's way in the past it's a story that someone tells you or it's a line in a referral form you can't see it it's gone and it's far away it's invisible you can't even see it on the person interestingly so, so the invisibility of it means I think it's much easier to ignore in a way that a spinal injury isn't so easy to ignore. A relational injury is easy to ignore. And often, and this is, again, a a more uncomfortable element, really, that one of the things we need to remember, I think, in trauma-informed care, is trauma is traumatic. So sometimes people who have experienced lots of trauma and adversity will bring their history into the present in ways that do not evoke sympathy. In fact, far from it, they evoke dislike and often even as strong as hatred, you know, that we, do, that we may not want to see this person because the way in which they bring their history is traumatic. It might even be abusive. It might be neglectful. It might be hateful. And not many people go into services to be hated or to be abused or to be neglected. So someone, when someone brings that dynamic, it doesn't tend to evoke huge amounts of sympathy in the way that somebody lying in a road traffic accident, struggling and bleeding might actually evoke sympathy. So we end up moving services towards the visible and the things that evoke sympathy and away from the invisible and things that don't evoke sympathy. And a good example of that, I think, is when we're talking about that thing you were touching on, Hayley, about so like people accessing services, where we say things like, OK, they're a wee bit anxious about going to the GP or something, which is a bit like sort of saying to someone with a spinal injury, OK, their legs are a wee bit sore. They've got a wee bit of a sore back. That's why they're not coming to the GP surgery. It's a complete diminishment of the volume and the level and the severity of the injury. This person isn't going to the GP practice because they're a bit anxious. They're not going to deep practice because they fundamentally do not trust care at a deep and basic level. In a way, they have no choice over and cannot think their way out
0: of. Now, if you haven't already done so, why not consider joining the social movement for change today? United to Prevent Suicide is for anyone who is passionate about preventing suicide and building the most supportive country in the world. It's for individuals and organisations. You can find all the details at unitedtopreventsuicide.org.uk. That's unitedtopreventsuicide.org.uk. Hey, Liz, if I gave you only a post-it note, because I know your list is very, very long since you took on <laughs> this, this new role, but if I took away your notepad and your laptop and said, I'm only giving you a post-it note what would be for you the first couple of things that you could write on that post-it note that would help nudge the idea of time, space, compassion forward? Oh, dear
3: Lord, Lawrence, I need a whole pad of post-it notes.
0: If you're not getting a whole pad, you're getting <coughs> one post-it note. That's all, it's, it's difficult budget.
3: I, oh, I know. Um, I think for me, there's there's two things. One is that time, space, compassion becomes embedded in just how people practice their day-to-day work I think you Shamila talked about teaching about feelings right from birth I think that is core in terms of people understanding how they feel and how they're able to articulate that and I think the other side of it is that we should be training people who are working with people and regardless of what role that is, because I think that goes across not just our health and social care, but police, fire brigade, you know, any any public facing role that at the earliest possibilities. People are given an understanding of how important time, space and compassion are and that they are informed, like Adam was saying, whether that's trauma informed or I wanted to feel like it's gone beyond ticking a box to say, I've done that course, I'm trauma informed now. And then, you know, I, I want people to be living what they've learned.
0: It's not a lifting and handling course that you get a certificate at the end of it and now you know how to lift and handle.
3: Yeah, and especially not if it's been an e-module. Shamila's way of teaching and learning about trauma-informed is the way you go into Tudas as an NHS professional and you do the trauma-informed module, it's not going to give you anywhere remotely close to what you get from you know being part of, I'm sure, what, what Shamila's organisation are delivering. You cannot give the, the, the soft, important, but softer skills as an e-module, in my opinion.
0: Let's give a post-it note to Adam and Shemela as well. We'll give you one each.
2: Time, space, compassion. It already happens in most families across the country, and it seems to work there. Maybe we should copy that.
3: See, that's what happens when you've got preparation time. You're not the first <laughs> to go. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well done, Adam, for articulating
0: that so effectively. Shamela, should we give you a post-it note as well?
1: protected reflective time for people who work in the sector in areas that it doesn't currently get, like education and much of the third sector and and much of other areas of public service actually where people we know are directly working with people with lived experience of trauma. I think that would really help tackle various issues, workforce well-being and um, make people better practitioners but if i had one wish it would be that i'm saying it a lot lately yeah. um, and i'm seeing that staff really need it and i think it's a big game which would, would help a few things um if it was more widely done
0: you want to come in here there's a couple
3: other things that have kind of sprung to mind you're
0: not getting another post-it note i
3: know well i'm not gonna have a post-it note i can write really small lawrence one is really about the voice of lived and living experience that i think do you know we've come so far in the work around suicide prevention because we've had the voices of lived and living experience really shaping the work right from the start and I think that's truly really key I think it is so incredibly powerful that that has to be you know in terms of how do we how do we move on time space compassion that that has to be a big part of it and the other thing that that's just kind of struck me as we've been talking is around that that trauma and i and i think about the services you know our frontline services who have been through that trauma of dealing with covid and it's not come to an end there, there's there been no either recovery or discovery from it there you know we're working in a in a system that is stretched beyond stretched and and you know not ever having really the time or the space or the compassion shown to process that as a workforce and I really worry about what that's storing up for the future in terms of the workforce but also the impact that that then has on their families and their friends around them and and how you know I I think trauma-informed has to really or trauma-informed services has to really take that on board as well.
1: And I just wanted to say one wee last thing kind of in response to what what they said around soft skills because it's a thing I hear a lot and a thing I've been responding with a lot is just this term soft skills it just has never sat right with me and and more so now than ever because these aren't soft skills these aren't fluffy nice things to have or do these are the fundamentals of being a functioning human being and society and the world and navigating it safely and and being able to experience all it has to offer and not as as Adam says not everyone has the same access to that um depending on how their lives have have started out or what paths they've gone down and I'd love to see a move towards us valuing those things that we've previously called soft skills and start to kind of move some of the other stuff out the way and actually recognize what these so-called soft skills are um how essential they are I think it's been Uh, the fact we've diminished those skills um, and and threw them to the side and not thought very much about them, that's perhaps meant that we've got to where we have now in the 21st century and and we have some of the kind of big issues that we have when actually you'd think things would be quite different considering we, we don't live like we did in the Victorian times, for example, and we have access to all of the amazing things that we have in the world. Time for humans to kind of hold up a mirror, and it starts with, with leadership, probably for me. Yeah. But I'd love to see a, a reframing of what people seem to think are soft skills. They're actually fundamental to to living and navigating human life.
2: Soft skills can be really hard. Like they can be really hard work, particularly maybe if you're working with somebody who is bringing a relational history that is. Telling you from day one, they are never going to like, never going to trust you, and they're never going to let you in. It's nothing soft about that. It can be really, really hard work and require the sort of care for stuff that 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 you're sort of touching on. Really, um, it's if I, you know, I've had a pound for every time I've worked, you know, been in a group with a support worker, and they've said, "But I just, but all I do is, but the only thing I do is, but I just," and then going to describe some of the most fundamental things that one human being could ever do for another. I wouldn't be on this call, I'd be in the Bahamas, but, and I think you know that they're hard, because if you look, there is a lot of services where the expertise is stacked, Who will, let's say unconsciously work quite hard to exclude having to have anything to do with this group of people. If it was soft and easy, these would be the people they would want to work with. The fact that they are excluded shows you something about how hard this work can be and what skill <coughs> level and commitment and time and space and compassion on behalf of the worker is required to commit to this sort of work, I think. And I think you're, you're absolutely right, Haley, and, and that requires then proper recognition and care for them. I think it's been an absolute bugbear of my professional life to work with people who are incredibly skilled, incredibly skilled, who are paid under... 23,000 a year because they are just support workers and yet they are doing incredibly life-saving work with a group of people who you know some of the most highly paid professionals have already told they do not want to see.
0: My thanks to Hayley Smith, Scotland's new national delivery lead for suicide prevention, Shamela Ahmed from Resilience Learning Partnership and Adam Burley, clinical psychologist with NHS Lothian and the City of Edinburgh Council. And thank you to you for joining us on this first episode of Time, Space, Compassion, the podcast brought to you by Suicide Prevention Scotland. Now, if you or someone you know is struggling with their mental health or perhaps feeling suicidal, please do not hesitate to ask for help. You can contact your GP. You can call NHS 24 on 111. The Samaritans are available on 116 123 or you can contact Breathing Space, call for free on 0800 838587.